welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Cool. We'll kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Mike. And Mike, I should ask you this, but how do you properly pronounce your last name? I'd hate to mispronounce it. Yeah, it's Murawski. Morowski, that's what I would have thought, but you never know. We're over Zoom here today, and if I read it correctly, you're out of Chicago, is that right? I am. I am, Justin. How's life in Chicago? I heard somebody say a long time ago that if you can't make a living in Chicago, you can't make a living anywhere. (laughs) I love Chicago. It's a great city. Now, there's other places I'd like to live, but Chicago's a great city. So that's the one, huh? So I got to ask, are you a Cubs or White Sox fan, or are you even a baseball fan? I am a White Sox fan. True. Oh, so you're probably happy with the result of the Astros White Sox little series here. Huh? I am. I was sleep. I was having a little hair on my chest though when they did beat us. But <laughs> well, I think we're first in our division. I think you guys are first in the AL Central right now. So definitely some good ball being played. Which you know, now that the All Star break is over, it's it's really getting down to business. So are you from Chicago originally? I am. I've been here my whole life. Yep. Wow. Chicago area, you know, suburban, grew up in the suburbs. Now I live in the city, always wanted to live in the city. So it's different, that's for sure, than living in the suburbs. You know, it's funny. My wife and I, we are currently, so we're in a suburb of Houston, which is Katy. And and we've been actively looking at, you know, getting closer into the Houston area. And mainly a lot of it is because a lot of my work is either Energy Corridor or, you know, within the city of Houston, Anytime we go in the evenings or weekends, it's within the city. And now with my wife starting her company, she does a lot of a lot of the stuff that she's investing is is inner city. And so it's like we're never in the suburbs. <laughs> it's like I don't know why we pay all these obnoxious taxes and have all this house that we don't need. And so we we've been actively looking into that. So I applaud you for making the jump. Normally people are looking to get into the burbs for more space, but I don't know. We're trying to dive into the to the craziness, I guess. Yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, (laughs) I hear you. Before we get going, I do have to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, which is Technip FMC. And for the listeners out there, their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, please click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. So, Mike, I have to ask you, before we dive into the story and what you're all about, I'm curious, how are you or your business innovating this year? And whether that's different strategies, marketing, branding, what does that look like? I mean, we've gone through a pretty drastic you know, year and a half. 
does anything come to mind that, that that's really kind of setting you up for success for years moving forward? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, right? I'm like, I actually, I kind of pride myself because you know, a lot of people, as they get older, they get turned off. They don't want to innovate. They don't want to technology. They don't want to get into anything new. But, you know, boy, I rushed to Clubhouse when that came out, right? I yeah. don't know if you know what Clubhouse is. Oh, yeah. I went on. As soon as I saw it, I started jumping on it and playing. Yeah. Yeah. And and who, who would have thought in March of 2020, you should have bought Zoom stock, you know, at $70 a share that today it's 900 or something, you know? So, you know, I think there's all kinds of platforms out there that you can use. You know, my team on the real estate investment side, we use Slack, yeah. we use Zoom, we use a program called Airtable, which helps keep some documents and records in order. So, you know, do I have my favorite technology? Yeah, I like email. Yeah. Kind of old, old school that way, but. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is because it's, you know, internally in my company, we have, we use WebEx. And, you know, that's, it's almost, you can do direct messaging and, you know, it's like sometimes get, I don't say, I say frustrated, but I sometimes feel bad because I'll miss certain messages from there. And it's like, you can always get me on email, but if you send me a direct message through WebEx, I may or may not see it for a few days. And so please email me if you need anything. So I'm like you, you know, good old email is, is tried and true, but no, that, that's exactly right. I think technology has helped, you know, especially a lot of companies just increase efficiency, digitalize. You know, in oil and gas, we're, we're, you know, historically an Excel based industry, and now we've moved out of that. And so there's a lot of cool things happening on that front. So w- with regards to actually, you know what, Mike, what I'd like to do is a lot of listeners are probably not familiar with, with who you are. I'm sure they've maybe looked at you on LinkedIn, but can you give yourself, give a little background on, on who you are? And, and then, cause I'm sure people are like, well, you mentioned real estate and what's going on here. So if you could, yeah, give a 30,000 foot view of your journey and then we'll take it from there because I have some really good questions after that. Yeah. So you tell me how far, you know, you, because I, I mean, I could talk for 20 minutes, right? But so I've been in the real estate space 30 years. I started out in the general contracting business and had a really successful residential construction company here in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Woke up one morning and I was burnt out. I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. I was still banging nails. I had 20 guys working for me, a bunch of trucks on the street, some heavy equipment. And I said, I'm done. And so I sold the company. And, you know, Justin, one thing I've always believed is success leaves clues. And if you follow somebody successful or you seek out somebody successful doing something you want to do, you can ultimately increase your chances of being successful. Mm. I took a year off from selling my company, deciding what I wanted to do. During that time, I did a couple of fix and flips long before house hacking was sexy or, or the thing to do. And everybody does it today. Yeah. I met a real estate agent who at that time was really selling a lot of houses, very successful. And I went to him and said, hey, I'm thinking of going in the business. He said, man, I think you'd be great at it. He says, you have some great sales skills. You have you know how to build relationships with people. He goes, I think you should try it. I said, good. Can I come and shadow you? And he goes, no, you don't need to come and shadow me. He goes, I'm going to do one better and I'm going to date myself now. But he said, I'm going to make you a cassette tape. So he made me a cassette tape. And and I don't think anybody even can find something to make a cassette tape on today. It's just one of those things, you know, (laughs) he held a handheld thing. But I equate this to podcasts today. You know, people can go back to this podcast and listen to it over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. 
That's what I did with that cassette tape. I listened to it over and over and over again. And I took the fundamentals that he taught on there and I applied them in my real estate business. In my first nine months in the business, I sold 78 houses. I was Remax Rookie of the Year that year. I went into the, I built a team where we sold 125 homes a year consistently for the next eight years. Hmm. 2005, I saw the market starting to shift and soften, and I knew I would have to go do something else. So I decided that I was going to go in the apartment business. And now, Justin, I didn't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going in the apartment business, something I had thought about for a long time. When I was in the construction business, I did a lot of work for inland real estate. Inland is is one of the largest REITs in the world. You know, there's four high school teachers that started out, they bought one small four unit apartment building, and today they're in 80 countries in every asset class and worth billions of dollars. Yeah. So you never know where this business can take you if you want to work at it. No kidding. So I looked at this and I said, man, I understood private equity, right? So I understood that if I raised private equity from individuals, married it with a great real estate deal, stayed in the middle and everything went well, that everybody'd make money and everything would, you know, would be great. So I syndicated my first deal. I went and raised some money. I bought an 11 unit apartment building. It went well. And I, over the next 30 months, I raised $18 million. I bought $60 million worth of real estate. It was 4,000 apartments in five different states and built a property management company managing 7,500 units. Wow. I grew way, way fast. Actually, way, way too fast. So, and not to cut you off, but was that a function of timing or was that just a function of your hustle and your grit and your determination to succeed or a combination of both? Yeah, I think it was a combination. Okay. First of all, the banks were throwing money at people. So I was way over leveraged on all my properties. So I was, and when I talk about that, I say that I was, would put 15% down, 10% down on a couple million dollars, you know, where I was 85% loan to value when I should have really been 65 to 70%. So that was an issue, right? So I had that as a problem and I grew way too fast. 2007, I closed 17 transactions for 2,700 units. I hardly had time to breathe. So I I didn't stabilize anything, right? And just kept going, going, going. Thought I had a team behind me that was keeping up with things and, and that wasn't the case. So I didn't pay attention to a lot that was going on around me. Over leveraged, undercapitalized, grew too fast. You know, when you put together a private placement in those private placement memorandums, there's language that protects the investor, that protects the syndicator. And I took some language out because the market was so hot and I thought the market was going to just keep doing this going up and it didn't. And I took some language out that said that I, I would not go back to my investors for a capital call if there was a problem. So if we needed cash on a deal. So my hands were kind of tied when the market changed 2008. Mm, Interesting. So that I think was a huge pivotal moment for a lot of folks in 2008. And I'm not sure if, if the, the timing aligns with, with the story, but I do want to kind of mention and, and bring up something that I'm sure not many folks listening have probably experienced. And again, according to your bio, you were involved you know, with, with the company that ended up 
supposedly imploding as a result, and you ended up having some challenges with the law. And if you're okay with speaking about it, can you describe what happened? And then, you know, following it up to tie it back to energy, perhaps tie it back to what it's taught you about business decisions and ethics. I think that would be really, really helpful. Yeah. And I have a couple of great, great stories that, that will tie some of this together, you know, things that, that really made an impact in the whole journey mm-hmm. and even today. Okay. So I had grown this company way, way too fast. And then I, I made those four major business mistakes, you know, over leveraged, undercapitalized, grew too fast, didn't stabilize properties. But most importantly, I didn't pay attention to details that was going on around me. So I didn't pay attention to the red flags. I'll give you an example. I was out to dinner one night with my my wife and my ex-partner and his wife. And I never talked to my wife about business. And I, I always tell this story because I want people to make sure that you're communicating with your spouse because I think it's really important. You know, our wives a lot of times, Justin, are a heck of a lot smarter than we are. Yeah. And we need to listen to them. I didn't. We were coming home from dinner that night. And during the week, I had a problem with my partner and it was a big problem. And on the way home, and, and I didn't tell my wife, she didn't know anything about it. But on the way home that night, she says to me, I don't trust him. Just not a clear blue nowhere. So what do I do as a good husband? I think I'm being a good husband. I go, hey, honey, I got this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. well, I didn't have anything. <laughs> and uh, what happened was what I should have done was I should have said, tell me more about that. What do you mean about that? What do you see that I don't see? What am I missing? Well, as a result, that was 2008. And as a result, you know, what happened in 2008, our, our world hit, hit a wall like a freight train at 200 miles an hour. And our company came off the rails and we imploded. And I tried to save my company because what happened was, I was really heavily invested in markets like the car, where the car industry was heavy. Not okay. where they made cars, but where they made parts for cars, little okay. for the radio, dashboards, things like that. All those businesses closed up. So as a result, all the employees moved back home. They moved out of apartments. I had a woman one morning, a property manager, call me and say, I have 32 moving trucks in the parking lot. I don't have a scheduled move out for 45 days. I, you know, I mean, and that kind of stuff went on over and over. So as a result of that, my operating income dropped and I wasn't able to pay my bills. So because I couldn't pay my bills and I couldn't pay my investors, I had struggles. I had some deals that I should have just let go to foreclosure, let some investors get hurt, but that's not who I am. I don't want, I don't want to have to come to you with bad news, Justin, and say, Hey, the market's bad. We screwed up. Here's the problem. You know, what do you want to do? I want to try and save the day. I'm the hero, right? So I started moving money between companies. Now, I went to my accountant and I went to my attorney and I said, hey, is this okay? And they both said, yeah, you can move money between companies. And I had 38 different companies. I had some that were very profitable, some that were not so profitable. So I started taking money from the profitable companies from cash flow and putting it in the non-profitable companies, trying to shore it up. And, and the reason I did that was because I had been involved in recessions in the past. So I thought, you know, hey, a typical recession lasts 17 or 18 months. There's a 10, 12% correction in the market. Yep. This thing lasted seven or eight years with a 40% correction. So <laughs> it's hard to mitigate, right? No kidding. That. 
So I'm moving money back and forth. Well, it turned out to be bad because I didn't disclose it to my investors. And because I didn't disclose it to my investors, the government got involved. I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges, pled guilty, and wound up being sentenced to 10 years in federal prison as a result of it. So I went away for, I was gone for about seven and a half years, came home, served another 10 months on home confinement. And, you know, I went to prison thinking, man, my life's over. What am I going to do? You know, I was waking up every morning going, this is terrible. How am I going to get through this? I was gone. I was in prison about 17 days. And then my wife decided she was going to divorce me. When that happened, that wrecked me. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't imagine, man. Go to punch the gut. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I walked around every day, just kind of, you know, depressed and trying to figure out life. There were guys around me that wanted to take my shoelaces. That was the big joke, right? Okay. Better, better take your shoelaces because it's going to hang himself, you know? Wow. So I'm curious and it, when, you know, you, you go in there, obviously, you're thinking, is this it? Like, is this, did I reach the pinnacle and now things are over? But I mean, did you have a vision of, of life after that? Or did you like, was it just so hard to fathom what happened that you just, you were kind of in a daze and, and I mean, cause I, I think, you know, obviously you said years, I think you said you wrote, you know, you, you did some things within that time, obviously I'm sure that helped propel you afterwards, but for the first like little bit, I mean, Walk us through like your mental state, how you were got from that to like, I mean, obviously, because you, you got out and, and you're doing things as well now and, and you seem, you know, mentally everything is, you're, you know, you seem pretty good. But I'm curious just on that mindset on how you were able to overcome that. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I lost, you know, my world was shaken. I mean, I went from living a pretty decent middle class, upper middle class life. And, and you know, listen, I never flew private. I didn't buy big houses. I didn't have a fancy car. We didn't take exotic vacations. You know, I didn't have a boat. I lived a middle-class lifestyle, actually took a pay cut to build that business. But I was the neighborhood baseball coach. I was home most nights for dinner. I was a neighborhood soccer coach. Had a great marriage. My wife and I were, you know, (laughs) had a great marriage. And you go from that ripped from that to living in a 12 by 12 room with three men that you don't know. And most of the time didn't like, Yeah, (laughs) you live in a, living out of a two by five locker with three green outfits and five pairs of underpants wondering, man, what the hell happened in my life? So we take things for granted in life so often, I think, and people need to really, you know, I've learned that gratitude really gets you through be grateful for two or three things every day. Absolutely. But here's what I did. You know, I thought my life was over and I'm in prison about six weeks and I walk into the gym one day. Now I'm 35 pounds overweight, feel like crap, don't want to do anything. And this guy walks over to me and he goes, Hey, knock it off. Like, what do you mean? He goes, cut it out. And he goes, don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is beat you, take everything from you you've ever known or ever had. He said, get that 10 years back. He goes, look, start coming to this gym every day. Take my class, start working out, lose some weight, start feeling better about yourself. 
He goes, they can take everything from you. They can take your real estate, the apartment you own, the business you had. They can destroy your family. But what they can't take is what you're made of. What they can't take is what's inside of you and wow. who you are and helped you who you are to build those successful companies you built. He really got me thinking. I started going to the gym. I started losing weight. I wound up going back to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology. I wrote two books, a book called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and Why You Need an Exit Plan Before You Buy. Wow, okay. I wrote a book on property management that will get published this year. The other one got published last year. Congrats. Ethics study course. I taught real estate in prison for five years. I nice. taught ethics in prison for five years. How ironic, a federal inmate teaching ethics. Yeah. But I studied ethics courses from like the University of Austin, the business school there. And, and I really understood the ethical component of life after that. I met a professor from the University of Minnesota who he and I wrote a paper together called that was, it was an ethics paper, a case study. And we had it published this year in the Business Journal of Ethics. So, so I did a lot while I was gone. And a conversation with that guy said, I'm not going to let these people beat me. You know, I'm going to make a difference. And so I knew that, and it took me two years really to get to a point where I really had my head around things, you know, and I'll tell you that what helped me get through a lot of that was that going to school, studying scripture, my relationship that I have with, you know, Jesus and my faith helped me get through a good portion of it because it, prison's pretty dark. It's a pretty tough place. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> Especially when you go from you know, living the lifestyle you live or I live today and to be in somewhere that's, you know, not like that. So, huh. So how was it adapting back to society? You know, you walk out and it's like, I'm a free man or, you know, whatever that looked like at the time, you know, real quick, how, how did you get, get your feet on the ground and get things running? Or were you able to facilitate things while you were away to, to kind of set yourself up for success? Obviously the things you did were helpful, but like, were you able to execute and do things to where you were set up when you were able to come out? Or what does that look like? So here's, here's something that's really funny, right? Is I came home the week they shut the world down for the pandemic. I was released from federal prison March of 2020, right? So that was the week that they shut the world down as a result of COVID. So it was like, I was still stuck, but I was on home confinement. So, you know, I still had to report and, and be, you know, really responsible to these people. And, but it was funny because I remember a friend of mine taking me on a job interview. When I first got home, he picked me up. I was in the halfway house for a little bit and he took me for a job interview and we were driving down the expressway. And I remember saying to him, I said, man, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. You know, I've been gone so long and I've been with the same group of people for so long. You know, when you see the same 500, 600 people, all men every day, you kind of get it, you know, that becomes your life. And they used to say, hey, you'll get institutionalized. I said, ah, that'll never happen to me. But it does happen to you because when you come home, you, you're like, it's different. It's hard. I can remember being in the store 
having to have to leave because the store was too crowded. And if I go to the grocery store or go to Target or somewhere and I, I didn't know where something was, I'd free, you know, I, I'd have these panic attacks. So you almost get a case of PTSD as a result of it. I can see that. Wow. So, yeah, because you, you get dropped from, from the world, you know, into this other world. You change, you adapt, you become, and then put back here. But, you know, today, what I can tell you today is life is good. Every day I get further and further from that. And yeah. I met some really good people, though. I will say that. And I met some guys that I helped that came home and are doing real estate as a result of what I taught them in prison. Wow. Fascinating. I yeah, love there was that. A guy, there was one guy, he took a couple of my classes over, over you know, about a year and a half. He went home and I've met with him since he's been home. And he's done 11 fix and flips. And, and here's what, you know, what his model is, is he buys these two flats and he deconverts them back to single families. And he's done 11 of them in like four years. So it's good to see people that really got some knowledge and some information. So that is fascinating. I applaud you for, I mean, making the best out of a situation. I mean, that's just the epitome of, you know, tenacity and everything else you can think of to get into. I mean, because there's a lot of people who would just fold and then just wither away, I would imagine. And so that's fascinating. And, you know, I, I know, actually, I think we could talk forever here, but I want to make sure that we've got enough time to touch on some things. So now you're, you're a trainer, a coach, public speaker, obviously an author. You got a podcast now, you know, and are you actively in real estate, you know, right now in the business? I just got a legal opinion written. The SEC says I can go back into the business. Hey, awesome. I can sponsor deals again. I can issue securities again. So I can be an issuer of real estate again is how they put it. So I love real estate. I love the multifamily space. I love doing what I'm doing. So that's why I'm in the coaching and training space. I thought, well, you know, hey, listen, let me write all this material. And I, I for four years, I worked at, I wrote two books, two home study courses. I taught and I taught and I taught and I would teach these guys and I kept learning and I came home and it's funny because now I teach it's, you know, it's the same stuff I was teaching when I was in prison. And, you know, really it's the same questions and the same kind of concept, you know, except so I feel that I, I give back now, right? How do I help you grow? How do I help you learn? You know, I know your wife's in the real estate space, right? How do I help her get some knowledge and grow as a result of it? You know, I feel that my my story, you know, if, if my story can touch one person, because I always believe that there's somebody listening, somebody sitting in a room that is faced with a struggle or a decision that they need to make. And how do we make those decisions today? I believe that there's there's an ethical component that people get hung up on and they forget about ethics when they're making tough decisions. Things go out the window. Hey, I walked in the gray area for a long time. I mean, you know, I taught an ethics class, right? So, so Justin, here's one of the first questions I ask people in an ethics class is I say, it's the end of the year. You're getting your taxes ready. You get everything over to your accountant. The year before, during the year, you took some travel. Your accountant calls you and he says, hey, Justin, you've got $700 in receipts from travel this year from airplanes and hotels. And, but the IRS will allow you up to $2,500 without ever asking a question. Now, you don't have to answer this, Justin, but 
and the accountant says to you, what do you want to do? Do you want to take the 2,500? Because they'll never ask a question. They'll never know. Right. Or do you want to just take what you actually spent? And, you know, it's funny because you get an array of answers. A lot of guys jump up. They say, hey, I'll take the $2,500. Nobody will ever know, right? Or, or guys say, hey, listen, after what's happened to me, I'm only taking the 700 <laughs> And then people will say, well, how about if I split the difference? Is that okay? You know, and that's yeah, what I talk yeah. about. You walk in that gray area, right? We walk in that gray area. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good place for people to walk. Because even though you can take the 2500 you didn't take it. So should you really take it? Well, it's, you know, it's interesting, right? Because that's a great example. And I think one side of it is just a behavior and perhaps pattern where, you know, that's where a lot of time, you know, poor patterns or poor behavior starts is on a micro level like that. And then in time it grows. And if you're comfortable with making that decision, well, hell, then you bump it up a little bit, bump it up. I think it's human nature to push the limits. And if you can get away with that, then let's see what else we can get away with. And so I think that could be possibly part of it. I know my answer would be, you know, do the right thing. And and because I tried messing with the Canadian government when I went on unemployment when I was eight, or I think I was 19. And I tried to collect unemployment while I was still, when I, I had got a job and I tried to like, you know, get a little bit more when I was working. And sure enough, like four years later, they dinged me pretty hard. And so I was like, I am never playing that game again. You know, again, just young and seeing what I can get away with. But that's a perfect example. And, and I think it's, it's something that I'm sure people will kind of chuckle and say, well, yeah, I mean, I would probably try and take the 2500. And then some be like, no, I've been there and done that. And I've, you know, been burned. But at the end of the day, for me, I know, like karma is for real. And so I've learned my lesson, you know, you know, say it's all relative, but I've learned my lessons and I've realized it's not worth it. And I can, I can go to bed at night, not worrying about getting a letter in the mail or a phone call at some point saying, uh, 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 you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so, so, you know, and that's funny because it's just like when I first came home, right. I, I didn't tell my story and I didn't share my story with people. And I didn't really, I knew at some point I, I probably was going to have to, but I started a podcast and I had a guy coming on my podcast and we called for an interview one day, you know, to just to get to know each other before the podcast. He goes, Hey, let me ask you a question. Who is this guy? And he mentions my ex-partner's name. And I go, well, that's my ex-partner. He goes, good answer. Cause if you would have lied to me, I'd have hung up on you. Oh. And right then I knew that I was going to have to tell the truth Tell yeah. the story because I think we lie two ways too, right? There's the lie of, hey, I didn't do it. I didn't do that, right? That's one lie. But the other lie is just the lie of omission and not saying anything, wow. right? That's so, so, true. so I knew right then that I wasn't going to be able to not tell my story. And then what it made me realize was I, was I have this story of hope and inspiration because, listen, I didn't let those people beat me, right? Today I'm in the redemption period. I had created, I had success, right? I built these big companies. I lost everything. But today, today's about redemption. So how do I bless you today? How do I help you see something different? Maybe add value to your network because I know somebody that can add value or, you know, so what can I do differently today for somebody else? That's how I look at things. Wow. Well, giving is, is the best feeling in the world. And the more you give, the more you'll receive is kind of my motto, which actually is, it's good to, it kind of leads me into my next question is, 
for the listeners out there, let's say who are interested in real estate, just not really sure. Cause I mean, you type in how to do real estate investing on Google and it is like in hit in the face with the fire hose. I mean, it's, there's so much information out there. There's so many coaches, there's so many people who are real estate experts, but if, if you can just very simply, you know, three nuggets to say, Hey, if you're interested in real estate, here is would be like the first step. And here's where to look to get started. Here's some credible resources you can look at to start gaining some knowledge. Cause I mean, there's books, there's eBooks, there's this, there's that, there's all this stuff. Can you kind of help listeners maybe just kind of give them some ideas to get, to get started instead of just blasting them with information? Yeah. First of all, I'm a huge knowledge seeker. I think that we all grow because we get educated. So anybody who wants to go in the space or is in the space and looking to move to a different space, go read something, listen to a podcast. There's a ton of information out there that will help you get educated. But I believe that if you make it part of your life, it becomes your DNA, that it's going to help you go to the next level. So we learn by that. But knowledge is only the beginning, right? Now you have to execute. Well, how do you execute? And how do you execute strategically? Yeah. Listen, I spent a lot of time making a bunch of mistakes over the years. And you could come to somebody like me and go get coaching, right? Go get some mentoring. I coach people. I mentor people. You could come to me and I'll work with you. And I know that we'll cut down on some of the mistakes you'll make. You certainly won't make any of the mistakes that I made because I'll keep you from doing that. But I think some of it too, we grow by our mistakes. But here's what I like to do with people is I like to work where you're at, teach you something new, give you an assignment to better it, and then hold you accountable to it. Because that's how we push the envelope forward, right? Yeah. So best example I can ever give is when I was in the real estate sales business. I picked the phone up every day and I called people prospecting. My coach held me accountable to those calls every week. I grew my business 20% a year because of a result of coaching, right? Because my coach pushed me, stretched me, taught me what to do and helped me get better at what I did. So I made 20,000 phone calls a year. I knew that every time I picked the phone up and dialed the phone, I made $8. So, so coaching will help you learn your numbers. It'll help you grow your business. So okay, I think that strategically, that's what you do. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, my wife, she's done the coaching thing with actually two different outfits and, you know, one was good to get her going. And then she kind of made a pivot because at the more she understood, the more she said, ah, okay, this group or this organization actually fits more. So what I'm interested in. And so, but yeah, for her, that's been the biggest, I mean, obviously there was a cost associated with that, but it's just like going to school. It's your tuition. I feel like, you know, it's, you know, you could sit there and read books and listen to podcasts for the next four years, but actually getting to talk to people on a regular basis who are doing it and who are executing and who are successful at, at what they are doing. I think, you know, it's, it's worth the investment, you know, given the opportunity. And I mean, you know, to be honest, like, you know, sometimes it's tough to, to want to spend the money to do things like that. And again, I have no idea. I'm sure if anyone's interested, they can reach out to you and you guys can discuss all of that. But she was hesitant to get a credit card and, and start, you know, doing that type of stuff. And so, but now she's, you know, just moving and making deals. And so anyway, it's definitely not about her specifically, but just it's as an example. And, and I can identify with what you're saying is, is getting a coach is actually in my line of business. It's 
it's not very common or I don't even know if it exists, but in the real estate stuff, I see the value in it. And so, and again, that's kind of a great way to somewhat close out here. If, if people are interested in more of what you're doing or want to reach out to you to perhaps get some coaching, what's the best way to do that? And what I'll do is I'll put any links in the show notes. That way people can easily access it, click it and access, and access your contact information. So let me make one comment on what you were yeah. just saying before I, I do that. Of course. First of all, I work with people, you know, like your wife in that box, right? Goal setting and team building and learning how to source deals and due diligence and underwriting and exit planning and all of that kind of stuff, right? But here's what's more important is working outside the box. Even for you, right? Who do you become along the way? Because I don't believe we grow professionally unless we grow personally. So as a coach, I like to help you. You got to get unstuck. You know, you got to get out of that space. So I just say that because there's two ways of looking at it, right? Yeah. So, no, that's a very good point. Thank you. Yeah. But here's how people get a hold of me. They can go direct to my website, which is mycoreintentions.com. If you want a copy of Exit Plan, you can go to my website, mycoreintentions.com forward slash exit plan and download a copy of the book. Grab a copy for your wife too, Justin. Yeah, I'd love to. And then, you know, you can get me directly at Mike at mycoreintentions.com. So I welcome networking. I'm, I'm open to networking. I love talking to people, meeting people. If I can help anybody, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Well, no, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate the humility to share your story. It's very inspiring and it's a powerful message along the way. So again, for everyone out there, please like, review, share with your family, friends, anyone within your network. It's a great way to just expand knowledge. And I mean, again, bring everyone closer together. And with that said, everyone appreciate the support. And always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jess. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com. We'll be right back.